You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise and Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and let's revisit a Philadelphia case from 2011 that has the victim's parents still fighting for the case to be reopened. Okay, this is a pretty famous one, and I'm only going to give you a brief explanation of the case. You could do a deep dive. There's so many podcasters who have covered this. So if you are interested in the case, there's other places to find even more than what I provide today with the update. But um, here's a good summary of the update. All right. Um, let's go to the morning of January 26th of 2011, where a nor'easter had blanketed the city with snow. And 27-year-old Ellen Greenberg was leaving Juanita Park Academy after an early dismissal due to snow. So she's an elementary school teacher. School lets out early because of the snow, and she heads on home. She returned to the Venice Lofts apartment she shared with her 28-year-old fiancé, Samuel Goldberg. Now, I'm going to call him Sam. Sam was a TV producer, and he and Ellen were together in their sixth-floor apartment until about... 4.45 p.m. when Sam left to use the gym located within the complex. Now, according to Sam, he returned a half hour or so later to find himself locked out of the shared apartment. Now, he told police that the apartment's swing bar lock was engaged from the inside. So just I want you to close your eyes and think about what a swing bar lock looks like. And you'll be able to visualize this because there's a lot of hotel doors that have these locks. So where if the door handle is not locked, you're able to open the door about three inches or so before the swing lock stops the progress. Now, he banged on the door but he got no response. So he tried to reach Ellen using his phone. And Sam sent her increasingly frustrated texts over the 22 minutes that he waits. And some of those texts include things like the word, hello. Then he said, open the door. Then he said, what are you doing? Then I'm getting pissed. 
then hello, then now he's really mad. And he says, you better have an excuse. Then he says, what the F? And then he says, you have no idea. So as this frustration is growing and mounting, Sam went to the lobby and he spoke with 67-year-old Phil Hanton, who was the lone security guard that night. And Sam wanted Phil, the security guard, to break the lock, but the guard wasn't allowed to per his job regulations. So then Sam was forced to open the door himself. And he says he plowed through the door and found Ellen slumped on the floor against the cabinets between the sink and the stove. So it was here at 6.33 p.m. that he called 911. And I'm going to play a portion of that call for you. Help, I I, I need need, uh, everything now. I just just walked to my apartment. My fiance is on the floor with blood everywhere. What is the address? 4601 Flat Rock Road. Please come. Help. Now. Flat Rock Road. Is this a house or apartment? Oh, no. Oh, no. It's an apartment. What apartment number? Please hurry, please. She's bleeding from. I don't know. I can't tell. She's. So you have to calm yourself down in order to get you some help. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She. I don't know. I, I'm looking at her right now. She. I don't. I can't see anything. She didn't. There's nothing broken. She's bleeding. Ellie. You don't know where she's bleeding from, can't you? Ellie. Where the coming from? It's. I think her head. I think she hit her head. I think. I think she but might it's all everywhere. Okay, it's everywhere. Think she might have fallen. Do you know yeah. what happened? I, she, she. She may have slipped. There's blood on the, on the table. Her. Her face is a little purple. Okay. Hold on for rescue for her. Stay on the phone. Flight apartment 842, what's the address? No, it's uh, 4601 Flat Rock Road. Please hurry. 4601 Flat Rock? Yes. What's wrong? My, my, I just, my, I went downstairs to go work out. I came back up. The door was latched. My fiance's inside. She wasn't, she wasn't answering. So after about a half hour, I decided to break it down. I see her now just on the floor with blood. She's not, she's not responding. Okay. Is she breathing? She, I Look at her chest. I need you to calm down, and I need you to look at her chest. It's really. I don't think she. I really don't think she is. Listen to me. Someone's on the way. Look at her chest. Is she flat on her back? (laughs) She's on her back. Look at her chest and tell me if it's going up and down, up and down. I don't see her moving. Okay. Do you know how to do CPR? I don't. Okay. I can tell you what to do. Okay. Until they get there, I want you to keep her. Oh God. Hello. Yeah, hi, okay. Are you willing to do CPR with me over the phone so they can... I, get, I, I have to, right? Okay, so get her flat on her back, bare her chest, okay? You want to rip her shirt off. Okay, kneel down by her side. Oh, my God. Ellie, please. Listen, listen, you can't freak out, sir, because you Okay, I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to. Her shirt won't come off, it's a zipper. Rip oh, my off. God, she stabbed herself. Where? She fell in a knife. Oh, no, her knife's sticking out. Her what? There's a knife sticking out of her heart. Oh, she stabbed herself? I, can't, I guess so. I don't know where she fell on it. I don't know. Okay, well, don't touch it. Okay, Believe so I'm just, I just let her down. Here now? I mean, what do I do? No, I mean, you can't. If the knife is in her chest, it's going to be kind of hard for you to do CPR at this time. And the 911 operator will instruct Sam to begin CPR. And it's then that Sam tells the 911 operator that Ellen has a knife in her chest. And the 911 operator then tells him, stop the attempts at CPR. And paramedics do arrive at the scene, and they pronounce Ellen dead. So 
Ellen was alone for about 40 minutes-ish while Sam was, according to him, working out. And then roughly another 40-ish minutes while he banged on the door, got the security guard, called and texted, and then eventually plowed through the door. All right. Once inside the apartment, police find no signs of an intruder or that Ellen tried to flee. The kitchen where Ellen was found was just inside the front door. Some blood had pooled in that area, but in her left hand was a nearly pristine white towel. It's also important to note that Ellen was left-handed. Now, upon examining the body, police did not see any immediate wounds that would indicate Ellen was fighting off an attacker. And a search of the remaining parts of the two-bedroom apartment, well, there was no blood found except in just that area of the kitchen. And the knife that was in Ellen's chest, well, it was later tested and it showed only Ellen's DNA. All right, now an upscale apartment complex like the Venice Lofts should have cameras, right? Well, there was surveillance cameras at the main entrance, but none in the hallway leading up to the apartment. Now, when law enforcement interviewed neighbors, they told police that they heard Sam banging on the door, but other than that, there had been no sounds of a disturbance. So was there another way to enter the unit? Okay, well, the couple's sixth floor apartment had a narrow balcony, but the day's snow on the balcony was undisturbed. And law enforcement originally treated Ellen's death as a suicide. The apartment door had been locked until broken into by her fiance. And of course, that's according to Sam's story. And Sam had remained on scene and was cooperative with law enforcement. And there were no signs of an intruder. And the lack of defensive wounds in what appeared to be a knife attack also led law enforcement to believe it was suicide. No goodbye note was found, and when her laptop was searched, there was no indication that Ellen was thinking of reacting in such a drastic manner. In fact, a strainer filled with freshly washed blueberries was found in the sink, and a recently sliced orange was found on the counter. Now, I do think we have to evaluate where Ellen was emotionally, especially since law enforcement was still pursuing that suicide angle. Ellen did have two drugs present in her system when she died. She had been prescribed clonopin and Ambien, and both of those were present. Now, she had met with her psychiatrist four days before her death. And that psychiatrist told investigators that Ellen denied any verbal or physical abuse in her relationship. But Ellen had told family members she wanted to move home before her wedding. She had also sent out all of her save-the-date cards. And most of those cards were received by her loved ones just two to three days prior to her death. And I also want to strongly reiterate that regularly seeking mental help absolutely does not signify suicidal ideation. If anything, in Ellen's story, it feels like there are no clear indications of how she was feeling emotionally because just the few details I listed could be used to argue either side, murder or suicide. Well, the day after Ellen's death, Assistant Philadelphia Medical Examiner Marlon Osborne began Ellen's autopsy at the city morgue. Now, he had a long examination ahead of him because it wasn't just one stab wound to Ellen's chest. He noted eight wounds to her chest, 
They ranged in punctures from just 0.2 centimeters deep to the four-inch final plunge of the still-embedded knife. She also had two-inch stab wounds to her stomach and a 2.5-inch long gash across her scalp. Now, there were 10 wounds ranging from Nick's to two wounds about three inches deep on the back of Ellen's neck. All in all, there were 20 stab wounds to Ellen's body. Okay, also noted were 11 bruises in, according to the ME's report, various stages of resolution. And Ellen's right arm, abdomen, and right leg all had bruising on them. And there were four key observations that private investigators have noted that would discredit the suicide theory. Okay, here they go. The large wound on the top of her head would be near impossible to be self-inflicted. Ellen was also found seated upright, but blood had dripped sideways across her face, indicating at some point during the wounding process, she was lying on her side. Now, another note was the fatal wound in her chest was through her heart. And as I told you before, the victim was left-handed, and this angle would be difficult to stab yourself in that direction. And finally, Sam's statement that he broke down the door has some questions surrounding it. Both portions of the swing lock were still intact on the door frame and door. The force hadn't ripped either side out of their anchored places. Now, all of these gruesome observations on Ellen's body led the ME to determine the manner of death to be homicide. Okay, but here we go. The ME changed Ellen's manner of death to suicide just a few days later after meeting with police and prosecutors. And since that change, Ellen's parents, Josh and Sandra, well, they've been at odds with the Philadelphia law enforcement community. That brief overview of the case from 12 years ago leads me to this update now. After an intense battle between the Greenbergs and Philadelphia DA Larry Krasner and former Attorney General Josh Shapiro, who, by the way, both eventually recused themselves from reinvestigating the death of Ellen, well, the Greenberg supporters have now gathered more than 150,000 signatures on a petition to ask Mayor Jim Kenney to order the medical examiner to review the case. Okay, I'm going to read you a portion of what the petition says. Here goes. It's important that these officials understand the public are watching closely and are prepared to hold them accountable. Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney has the power to order his chief medical examiner to reopen Ellen's case. We encourage you to reach out to the mayor's office and let him know this case is important to you, that Ellen's death warrants a closer investigation, and that justice for Ellen must be done. All right, that petition is not the only movement in reopening the case. The Greenbergs have filed two separate court cases challenging the city of Philadelphia and the way they handled the death investigation. Okay, remember how I said the former Attorney General Josh Shapiro recused himself? Well, he had held that case for four years without any movement until an independent podcaster named Gavin Fish did some digging. He alleged in a YouTube video that Shapiro had a clear conflict of interest because Sam, the fiance, well, his parents are campaign donors to Shapiro. Three days following that accusation on that YouTube video of conflict of interest, 
Shapiro stepped away from the case. But Shapiro is now the governor of Pennsylvania, and he continues to hold immense power, even if he removed himself from the case years earlier. And it's incredibly frustrating how silent everyone is surrounding this case. The former M.E., who initially called Ellen's death a homicide but then changed it to suicide, well, he lives in Florida, and he's staying completely silent about the case. The Chester County investigative team did reopen the investigation into Ellen's death, and they are staying silent because the investigation is ongoing. Governor Shapiro's office is not commenting on the previous investigation or the current resurgence with the petition. Everyone is just staying radio silent. And it wasn't until the Greenbergs filed the lawsuits that certain information about the death investigation was revealed. One of those points being that the gash to the back of Ellen's head, well, it was inflicted after her heart stopped beating. So if the stab wound to her chest was the fatal event and she was found slumped against the cabinets, how did she get a gash to the back of her head? And according to Fox News, Dr. Wayne Ross, he's a specialist in forensic and neuropathology. Well, he re-examined Ellen's death. He found the facts support homicide as the manner of death and that the initial autopsy missed obvious signs of manual strangulation in addition to the stab wounds and other bruising that was missed. Now, if you're listening and interested in reading and potentially signing the petition to reopen Ellen's case, you can visit change.org and search justice for Ellen Ray Greenberg. Again, change.org and search justice for Ellen Ray Greenberg. Now, the petition also includes the various ways to contact the mayor of Philadelphia. And you can also visit the Justice for Ellen Facebook page to learn more. Okay, and as far as Ellen's parents are concerned, it appears the fight is far from over. Sandy told Fox Digital the following, It's hard to believe that with the amount of facts in the universe that no one can understand where we stand right now. And the politicians, they're unconscionable. And Ellen's father, Josh, says he believes his daughter was being abused. He said the following, She had injuries on her body that were consistent with abuse. That's what I think the whole issue of this story. Somebody didn't want Ellen's abuse to get out there, and that's why she's dead. All right, I'll follow the investigation by Chester County and the pressure that the online petition might create, and I'll let you know when details develop. And now to this astonishing story out of Texas. Rudy Farias was just 17 years old when he took his two dogs for a walk in March of 2015. Eventually, the two dogs made their way back to the home with their leashes still attached, but there was no sign of Rudy. Family members immediately reported him missing, and Rudy had some complicating factors that especially terrified his family. Rudy had been suffering from depression, anxiety, and PTSD. He had attempted suicide before and could have become disoriented on the walk with his dogs. It was also concerning that Rudy had asthma and he did not have an inhaler with him. All of these concerns were left unanswered for eight years until last week when Rudy was found. Now details are still limited about his discovery, but here's what we know. Family had a notion that Rudy was still alive. Back in 2018, a family member had called authorities to report that Rudy was sleeping behind their residence. 
That lead did not result in law enforcement contacting Rudy. But last Thursday, emergency responders were contacted again by a good Samaritan who said they had found Rudy unresponsive in front of a church on 76th Street in Houston. Now, officers responded to the location and they found Rudy there. His family has given little details to what the last eight years have looked like for Rudy because his trauma has left Rudy nonverbal, and this is according to his mother. His mother also said Rudy is in bad shape with bruises, burns, and scrapes all over his body. Now, Tim Miller, the director of Texas EquiSearch, well, he is one of several people who helped search for Rudy over the last eight years. When asked by a local news outlet how he felt about Rudy being found, he said the following, how did this happen? We believe in miracles, and this certainly was a miracle. I can't even tell you how many times we searched and how many leads and tips came in, and they just kind of faded away, and now all of a sudden, this. Miller said in the beginning that they worked extensively with the family and investigators. They had found a backpack that belonged to Rudy, but that discovery didn't lead them to Rudy. They also worked with a catering truck that felt like they had spotted Rudy. Now, he said they worked every lead, and they just needed to wait for the questions to be answered. He also said, there's a lot to investigate to kind of see what happened, where it happened, and how it happened. I couldn't agree more with him. Police spoke with the family yesterday, and the investigation is ongoing. And we can only hope that Rudy is receiving the care he needs to return to good health. I'm feeling a little tenuous about this case. There's a lot of unanswered questions, and I'm going to keep you updated as soon as we hear more. All right, Rising Crime listeners, you just listened to my recorded version of the Rudy Farias story. And then more news broke about Rudy Farias this morning. So you're getting a little extra edition of me right now um, because I'm committed to always bringing you guys what's happening on the latest true crime news. Okay, so let's talk about something. You might have noticed in my voice that I had some questions about the Rudy Ferry story. Like, it just wasn't settling with me. How was he found in the backyard, you know, a few years earlier, and then all of a sudden he's not there? Like, they couldn't find him. Police couldn't check in with him. But somebody sees him on the street and absolutely knows who he is. Like, there were enough unanswered questions there. I had done a deep dive um, while I was researching that story. And what I came up with is that his mother was a little questionable. That's how I'd say it. There was just enough of, is this woman telling a full story? Well, what was breaking that I had to tag on to this episode is that there are neighbors that are saying that Rudy has been living with family members this entire time. And authorities are speaking with the mother today. So I'm recording this on Wednesday. I'm just going to be completely out, like transparent with you. I'm recording this on Wednesday. The podcast comes out on Thursday morning. We already knew authorities were speaking with the mother today. And I mentioned that in the part that I had already recorded. Then it came out that this is the neighbors are saying he's been living there the whole time. And she's being very evasive with authorities. So 
I just wanted you to know where the story currently is. There seems to be a lot of unanswered questions. You have neighbors saying he was there the whole time. You have people who are now saying, yeah, she's been using this as potentially a way to earn extra money for her family. I don't know if you want to call it a scam. I'm not going to label it as anything other than there are deep concerns that this woman for the whole time has known where her son is at, or at least known he is alive and who he's been hanging out with. So I'm committed to always bringing you the most up-to-date information. Obviously, this isn't over, and I will be following it. I'll let you know what authorities do find out and how much they're going to release, but it does appear the community is now stepping forward and going, "Mm, things aren't exactly the way they seem. Okay, just wanted to add that little tidbit at the end. Um, Thanks for joining me for what is the Thursday edition of Rise in Crime. Again, if you're loving this content, I'd appreciate a five-star review. It does help me. And um, yeah, subscribe and download and check in with me on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. And I'll be back on Monday. I'm Mama Jules. Keep safe out there. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.